Hello everybody, this is Captain Katz. And we are Katz. Alright, welcome back to the show. So today we're going to be talking about a genre of music that reached a historic milestone. Uh, and we're going to talk about the rise in the the rise and somewhat fall and rise and looks like another fall again to this in, to this genre of music and that is hip hop. Um if you're wondering how old is hip hop turning, hip hop is turning. Well, this past August 11th as of recording, 50 years yeah. August 11th, 1973, some Jamaican immigrant named Clive Campbell, who was known as DJ Cool Herc. All he was doing was playing some music at his sister's back-to-school party in the Bronx, and um, he did some snippets, did some improvisation, um, and made a loop out of it with two turntables, which is unheard of. Yeah. And... Well, especially back then, because technology was like, compared to now, how music and everything is and production and stuff like that, two turntables to do that it was pretty like, ma- like magic is basically like the equivalent of magic. Yeah, essentially, that would be the equivalent of you're a rich bastard if you have, well, back in the 50s and 60s, two TVs. In this case, you're a rich bastard if you got two if you got enough to have uh, two turntables, right? That means two stereo systems, and they weren't cheap. Oh yeah, back then, yeah. So yeah, so he took these two turntables and just basically made magic. Oh yes. And um, all of a sudden, um, some people kind of tinkered like that, similarly, and uh, turned. Well, the rest is history. Yep, a genre was born. Um, but here's the thing, though. It wasn't, like, full-blown explosion. It wasn't like, you know, say, like, for example, uh, R&B or rock and roll, you know, um, or, like, the British invasion of music of the time of rhythm and blues and rock and roll or, or, um, you know, classical music or something like that, you know, in terms of like, okay, other parts of the world or other parts in a country, people were doing that type of music, but differently, you know, hip hop was basically created, born and raised in New York, in the ghettos. Specifically in the Bronx. Right. You know, like I was saying in the boroughs. Uh, in the ghettos in New York, you know, because like, like, you know, immigrants were doing it. They were, they were mixing and stuff like that. And it was, and in, within the five boroughs of New York where, you know, where it spread. So it became an urban thing there in New York. You know, it didn't spread out to the United States like wildfire until later down on the road. Mm-hmm. You know. It took some time to, you know, to create, to, to Horner's craft and everything like that. And then during that age and stuff like that of his infancy, you know, we had other DJs and stuff like that that came out, you know, like uh, Grandmaster Flash, The Furious Five, uh, Melly Mel, Melly Mel, African Babada, I think, um, was like trying to, was trying to experiment with it. 
Yeah, what I'm remembering, I can't re I know I remember KRS-One was was kind of back in that day, but he was explaining, I forgot, there was like a, like one of the first um, significant rap battles, because mm -hmm. um, back in, before the 80s, mm -hmm. um, it was all about getting the crowd's attention, just making a good beat, or or just going to bonk, bonk, bang, 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 you know, may, having a great time. Right. And KRS-One was talking about how there was one famous performer who was just doing that the old the old way, you know, bomb, bomb, you know, making the people bump around and have a good time. And I forgot the other rapper that was there doing it, but he was the one that in, um, invented the lyricism of hip hop, not just you know you're there to have you know bump, you know doing a beat and having a good time and making everybody go saying hey oh. No, that other rapper was doing. Um, he was throwing in realism, and made and made uh, um, the rhymes more complex. Right. And when the other guy, the old schooler, was was still doing bomb bombo, everybody was blown away. Yeah. Because of the lyricism, there was a message to it. Right. And that was, and that also played a huge key role. Um, during the 80s and 90s, especially the 80s and 90s, all the way up to the mid-2000s. Lyrics, the lyrics were, lyrics were really important. And especially to when it, especially in the mid, the early mid, um, the peanut gallery right there, folks. Um, during the late 80s, early 90s, the whole East Coast, West Coast uh, shenanigans was going on. Lyrics is, you know, the lyrics and the rhymes and stuff like that. You can tell, you know, between night and day, you know, what they were talking about and what would and what was the message. But we'll get into that, you know, when, when we get there. Um, so, yeah, in the 70s, late 70s. You know, the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of experimentation, a lot of, of you know, ex a, a great way of experimenting in both lyricism and also the music and the beats and stuff like that. You know, almost almost around the same time um, in Chicago, around the same time, house music was being, was, was, was in his infancy. And the reason why I'm bringing up house music to hip hop was because hip hop was slowly spreading spreading to the uh to the rest of the United States. Chicago on the other hand, they were in its own infancy and renaissance to house music, which later became one which Chicago would later become known as one of the founding cities to reinvent house music and during in um in the house music era there's even a considered there's even a um a genre of house music called Chicago house music when hip hop was coming over during that time of the, of the Chicago uh the Chicago house music scene they did take some of they they took some of of the ideas of what hip hop was doing, not the lyricism, 
but the mixing, the music, the production side of it, and we're implementing it into house music. You know? Um, and then when it went to the West Coast, that's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all I'm just going to say, the West Coast, the West was different. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't, at the time in the early 80s, there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of producers, there wasn't a lot of uh, MCs, and there weren't a lot of DJs in the West Coast that were willing to take up, pick up that torch and run with it. Well, that's because, remember, um, you know, remembering the history of NWA, in those times, you know, like in South Central uh, LA and all that stuff, right? Mean, you know, they they weren't doing hip hop because it was viewed as very negative, at least in the West Coast, right? But you also got to remember too that there wasn't anybody that was willing to pick up that torch and ran with it. Not like in the East Coast, not like in New York, not like in the five boroughs. In the five boroughs, each borough they picked up a little piece of that torch and ran with it had their own unique style, had their own unique uh, touch to it and everything like that. You know, go out to the middle, you know, hip-hop spreads out to other parts of the United States. Not a lot of people were picking it up. Not a lot of people were touching it, you know. Chicago did, but but the Chicago hip-hop scene didn't explode until the mid-90s. You know, and then down in the South, that didn't, uh, the South, same thing, like in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s. In the, and then when it reached out to the West, the West didn't do anything with it until... NWA. NWA, so that would be like around the late ni- the late 80s, early 90s. And the reason for that, why it took so long for the West to pick it up, was because at the time there was a at the time in the okay let's put it this way California in the 80s was its own thing every there was you know how the the the, the old saying you know uh, you work hard you play hard that was basically how it was in California in the 80s but but certain areas in California weren't that generous enough to go with the work hard, play hard. And uh, we're talking about, you know, good example of that, Southern California. You know, a lot of that, a lot of a lot of good amount of the L.A. scene area where the minorities were living at. Same here in uh, San Diego. Um but the big difference between the L.A. scene and the San Diego scene at the time of the 80s was that in the L.A. scene, there was a lot of violence and a lot of struggle. Here in San Diego in the 80s, there wasn't that much violence, but there was a, but, but, this, but the same amount of, of struggle, like how it was in L.A., was here. But it was manageable. Over there in LA, it was it was a lot tougher. It was basically like, you know, quote unquote, you know, this side of the United States concrete jungle, you know. 
And then that's where NWA came to be. Yeah, they 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 showcase well. You you know you're New York. You know you got your problems, but what about us? Well, here's our problems over here. You like we're not all sunshine in Hollywood, you know. And they explained it. Yeah, straight out of Compton, you know, and straight out of Compton and uh, their other classic songs. Well, especially especially their number one um, legacy made song, "Fuck the Police." Right. They were they were telling everybody. Um, you think New York's got it bad? Well, what about here? The police are that rotten. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah. So what NWA did was put the West Coast rap scene on the map, well, the hip hop scene on the map, but in their own way. They laid the foundation, they laid the groundwork, and. Did it did it survive? Did it keep going? Yes and no. We'll get that to we'll get into that in a little bit. While that was going on in the West Coast, you know, and Chicago was still kind of like pick upping while you know, in Chicago was still trying to uh kind of get a feel of what the hip hop scene was gonna be in Chicago. We go back into we go back into New York. New York had a great wealth of MCs and a lot of DJs and a lot of producers. But the thing a lot of people tend to forget was a lot of groups and MCs that laid the foundation, that laid out the uh, the lyricism, the music, the sampling, and everything like that. And uh, paved the way to what hip hop was going to be. You had famous uh, MCs and groups like, for example, Eric B and Rakim, <laughs> Trap Call Quest, mm-hmm. De La Soul, um, the Beastie Boys. Which originally, um, a fun fact: the Beastie Boys was originally supposed to be a heavy metal band or a rock and roll band. But you know, who would have thought that? You know. A couple, couple of Jewish kids from you know New York turned out to be one of the most influential one of the influential hip hop MC groups, you know, for hip hop. They 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 took what they were originally were going to do for their band and brought it into hip hop. They brought in a, a style of lyricism that that still to this day cannot be matched. And they really took the heart and soul of of that scene at that time and just ran with it. Don't believe me? Go look at their landmark album, Paul's Boutique. You know, um, look at Eric B and Rakim. Eric B and Rakim showed, you know, that hip hop can be sophisticated and unique in its own way. The De La Soul Trap Call Quest, they brought in the jazz, the jazz elements into hip hop, the sampling in it and into that. But then you also have other art, other MCs and 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 uh, DJs that were in, instrumental as well. Uh, most notably, uh, Bismarck Key. Yeah, and you said sampling with Bismarck Key because thanks to Bismarck Key came the problems of hip hop 
with sampling. Yeah. As I uh, wrote um, on his legacy after he passed, um, I forgot what that song he did, All Alone Again or something. He famously sampled uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan's uh, Alone Again, uh, naturally. Very good song. Unfortunately for hip-hop, the future of hip-hop at that time, um, um, Gilbert O'Sullivan was not going to be the kind of guy who was going to not let his work go get trampled, you know, trampled down, so to speak. So he went and protected his work. And unfortunately, that set the precedent of what stands today. Uh, that if you're going to be sampling, be careful. You either pay the respective license fee or ask permission. That way, if you have your song, you have to put in um, the original author of the song you sample of there as part of it. Right. Give them credit. You have to give them credit. And, and and unfortunately, that was a crisis mode for a bunch of hip hop artists because it's like, oh crap! Now we gotta, well, not only that they have to be careful, but um, there's a new set of rules. Or not play. only a new set of rules, but it could, you know, I think some some artists backtrack and like, hey, you're using my shit, pay up. Yeah, and like you can't do that. Well, Gilbert O'Sullivan did, and it's you know law. So, unfortunately, the big loser on that was, unfortunately, Biz Marquee. And, like I said, it set the precedent for what's going on with hip-hop to this day. Right. Um, but, of course, that didn't really stop people, uh, hip-hop artists, from experimenting with, uh, um, you know, they actually did ask permission and all that stuff, or had to pay some licensing fee or whatever, but it worked. Right. You know, they did it the right way, and you got, you know... Uh, what's a good example? Well, Tone Loke, Wild Thing, mm. that was Van, that was from Van Halen. Um, um, Janie's crying, but just the do do do, just that part. So that was a great hit. Um, what was his um, name? Jordan Campbell. This is how we do it. Yeah. I never really liked it because I think he took it. He took that beat from the original um, Slick Rick. Right. You no. Know, uh, bedtime story. Do, do, do. And people people must have forgotten this part. Not the, this is how we do it on that part. It was do, 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 do. Right. Then That's also, what pisses me off. Yeah. But then also, too, uh, like De La So, um, I Know, Everyone Knows. They had Otis Redding, just oh. the whistling. Yeah. But they put featuring Otis Redding. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was a huge. I would say that that was a huge blow to hip hop because now you had these new rules, these new things they had to abide on, and right then and there, a good amount of DJs and a good amount of producers kind of quietly left because, you know, that was their bread and butter, and now the, the either they have to pay out of their pocket or you know kiss butt and ask, you know. They a lot of them decided to just unless the powers that be gave them direct permission, like they lost soul. But in the future, it would cause problems, and we'll get to that later. Yeah, um, yeah. So the eighties was like basically the wild west. The you know, in short, and the early nineties. Yeah, well, yeah. So in short, you know, the late eighties, the early nineties was a wild west of new rules, new laws, 
the West Coast finding their voice in their own way and expressing it in their own way. The East Coast was over-fluctuating with a lot of DJs and MCs and stuff like that um, and pioneers that laid the foundation to what hip-hop is. Now let's get to the to the from early 90s to the late 90s. And those foundations were destroyed because of one group, the Wu-Tang Clan. We'll get to those we'll get to those boys in a bit. Um early so during this time besides the rise of the Wu-Tang Clan, um we also had um, interesting notes. Chicago found its voice and took its part, to, you know, took its piece of the torch and ran with it. You had MCs coming. You had a lot of DJs, um, mostly DJs in the 90s, were coming out and doing their own thing and producers and coming out and doing their own thing. And the Chicago style and Chicago scene of hip-hop was is basically surprisingly almost identical to the New York style, but mostly instrumental and mostly jazz and blues. The West Coast, on the other hand, um, with what happened with the implosion of NWA, um, we saw the rise of Tupac, Tupac, which basically still to this day he's like the face of the west coast scene you know there will there will never be anybody like him you know not only that we also had other people coming up as well snoop dogg we had dr dre ice cube you know and they were doing their own thing in the west coast and they set themselves they set the president in themselves. And not only that, but also Ice-T as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Colors. They, yes. They were setting... They basically, you know, set up shop, put down their flags, and just like, okay, this is who we are in the West Coast. Out in the East Coast, during this time, you know, we had, we had a cat over there called, you know, uh, Notorious B.I.G., mm-hmm. Biggie Smalls. We had Nas, uh, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan. We'll get to them in a little bit. Um, Rockham made a surprise comeback. A lot of people didn't think that he, you know, would come back after what happened in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, Big Daddy Kane. Same thing. Yeah, same thing with Big Daddy Kane. You know, Cypress Hills and, and so on and so forth. Um, but the most, but the, um, but like the most important thing too was the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, they were just basically these cats from New York, from different parts of the boroughs, family members, they were consistent of family members, friends of the family, you know, and so on. And they all did something unique. With their first album, the Return to the Thirty Six Chambers. No, 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 no. It's Enter the Thirty Six. Yes, Enter the Thirty Six. Return to the Thirty Six Chambers was Old Dirty Bastard. Yeah. Woo. Oh man, yeah. So Enter the Thirty Six Chambers. 
Um, it was completely different. The sound, the sound, the style, the sampling. Yeah, kung and, fu, you know, kung fu flicks. Yeah, and well, not just that too, but it's just if you listen carefully to the lyricism and the rhyming and the messages that they were saying, you know, it looked like it. You actually were listening to them trying to one up one another, lyrically. You know, it was basically you were listening to trying to outdo one another. Well, at the same time, they complement each other. Exactly. You know, and then when they signed with, uh, at the time, Loud Records, they start. They had a deal which is now in, now in the hip hop world is considered to be the Wu Tang deal, which is which is which is called, which is basically the group can st- the group can record together, but the individuals can go sign somewhere else and do albums outside of the main group. The only time they have to stop what they're doing individually is if their group is going to come back and do another album. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't for that deal, we wouldn't have Method Man. We wouldn't have ODB. We wouldn't have the Jizza. We wouldn't have the RZA. We wouldn't have Inspector Deck. You God. Ghostface Go, Killer. Ghostface Killer. Raekwon. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't have any Capadonna. of them. Capadonna. We wouldn't have a lot of these. You know. We wouldn't have... Any of their uh, famous first albums, first, second, third albums. For example, uh, the Jizza Liquid Swords. That's uh, considered to be the greatest hip-hop album of the decade. Which had the greatest hip-hop song single in the decade. Um, it wasn't Shadowboxing. It was the other one. Uh, it was Shadowboxing. Shadowboxing? It was Shadowboxing. Mm. Yeah. No, because I was thinking about... Uh, Fourth Chamber. No, it was Shadowboxing. Mm. Um, you know, and then you had uh, Method Man, Takal. You had Ghostface Killer's um, debut album, which was crazy. Iron Man. Iron Man. Um, Old Dirty Bastard returned to the 36 Chambers. Which was a... It, it, it was a His beast. content was filthy, but it was classic because no one actually... You know, hip hop hip hop was not thought to be filthy, and he made it filthy. Well, not only that too, but he, uh, a lot of people still to this day says, you know, there's there's three there's three styles of hip hop. There's the East Coast style of hip hop. There's the West Coast style of hip hop, and then there's ODB style. You can't categorize it. It's not East Coast. It's not West Coast. It's its own thing. I don't know if he's singing, rapping, or rhyming and singing. It's its own thing. So you have your third one, which still to this day, no one has not perfected it. Or no one's not even going to try to do it. Why? You just can't. Yeah, I mean, you try, you know, singing, you know, doing doing our hip-hop rhyme that's pretty filthy. And then combine it with singing with Somewhere Over the Rainbow. (laughs) Only he can do it. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, soon after the, uh, soon after, um, oh yeah, and Raekwon's classic debut album as well. Uh, Into the Cuban Links? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, after that, you had other groups that wanted that Wu-Tang style uh, deals, 
You know, you had the likes of the infamous Mob Deep. Um, what was it? Uh, the Beat Junkies. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, the Beat Junkies. Big Pun, Fat Joe, uh, the Beat Nuts, uh, Moon, Doom, uh, MF Doom with his brother when they were in a group. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the group. Um, yeah, so you had like a lot of groups. Yeah, but, like but remember, I'm going back to kind of the foundation. We, for, we forgot about the Digital Underground. Digital Underground was different. Digital Underground was... But, in, they, but they made a worldwide hit. The Humpty Dance. Yeah, well, they did make a worldwide hit, but also, too, it introduced everybody to Tupac. But that's before Tupac became Tupac. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, in the West Coast, you know, going back to the West Coast, while they weren't paying attention to what the East Coast was doing, they were talking. they were still talking about stuff that was going on you know, that was happening at the time, you know, which, which, which was either the events that happened after the L.A. riots or what happened during the L.A. riots or, you know, um, I'm just going to say it, um, you know, Snoop Dogg was just basically did an entire album that was basically the equivalent to the, the rock and roll saying of sex, drugs and rock and roll, mm. you know, but he did it in a hip hop way. You know, Ice Cube, when he, when his debut album came out, his album, he was just basically just talking about it what's an everyday life for, for a person in South Central L.A. or living in the hood. Didn't that include uh, his infamous, like, um, ultimate diss to N.W.A., No Vaseline? Yeah, that, it had that one, but it also had also Today Was a Good Day, hmm. you know? You know, you know, and if you haven't heard it, listen to it. It's a classic West Coast. It, it's one of those songs that you could just put on while you're cruising and just chill with it, you know, and you could just relate to that song, you know, like hell, like we, we could be just like right now, if we were driving right now and we'd be hearing it on the radio, we would just turn it up and just be quiet and just cruise for a while. It's one of those songs that is just, you know. You can relate to, but at the same time, you gotta watch out because if you play it in a bad neighborhood, woo! Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. It well, it mattered back then. Back then, but in now, it's just you know, everybody chills. Yeah, not yeah. really. So moving on. So while this was happening in the '90s, there was another movement that was happening within the mainstream hip hop, and that was the great the in the late '90s. To the end uh, to the two thousands all the way up to twenty ten, which was the Great Divide. Within the Great Divide, that was where um, a lot of the a lot of the independent scene, the underground hip hop scene, kind of exploded and did its own thing. You also had um, a lot of mainstream hip hop artists either kind of like selling out. Or we were being introduced to a new generation of MCs. Thus, in this case, during this time and era, we were introduced to, like, for example, Kanye West, Eminem, Drake. Um, but before that, we have to talk about the end of Tupac Shakur and uh, Biggie Smalls. Because that, that started 
um, what um, we consider uh, the end of the golden age of hip-hop and the beginning of the decline that, to, that I think to this day we're still suffering. Yeah, uh, yeah, we should talk about that. So, um, I'm just not going to sugarcoat it. You know, Tupac died a horrible death. Biggie died a horrible death. During that time, the East Coast, West Coast was... The, the music-wise, you know, it was kind of at a bloodbath, you know. And then, and don't forget about um, um, dishonest producers like Suge Knight. Yeah. So it, it was basically everybody was getting greedy for the wrong reasons, and they were just pointing fingers to like, oh, you know, it was such and such that did this. Oh, it was no, it was such and such. So it was getting really greedy and really bloodbath and stuff like that, to the point that it had to take two of the brightest stars at that time to die in order for both sides to bury the hatchet you know and when they both died a lot of people say and i still agree with it that that was the death of the golden age of hip-hop yeah even though you still had groups even though you still had a lot of great things coming out during that era like you know the wu-tang the rise of the wu-tang clan um yeah you know, um yeah like the rise of the Wu-Tang Clan um Chicago finding its voice you, the south was starting to starting to find its voice and everything and so on and so forth the west coast had their had their faces of okay we're going to represent the west you know and the east they already had their groups and faces of who they were that they're going to represent the boroughs and stuff like that. That all just went down after um, they both died. Not only that, main mainstream music people were coming in and were like, you know, hey, we like you. We want to hire you. We want to we want to sign you, but you can't do this anymore. But we're going to pay you tons of money. So you so during that time you were seeing a lot of uh, producers and, and DJs were selling out, and then later MCs as well. Some, not a lot. Um, and during this time, this is where um, the underground scene came to be. And the underground scene, there was a lot of artists that were coming up, but they were doing its own different thing, and were taking what made hip-hop so great in its golden age and brought it back down to its roots. So you had, for example, Black Star, MF Doom, you had Common, you had... Uh, Gangstar. Gangstar. You had uh, Most Def, Triquali. You know, that was all in the East Coast. Here in the West Coast, it was a lot of the independent... Um, MCs out here in San Diego and out and up north in LA that were doing their own thing. Um, even though they weren't getting, they weren't going to get like famous and stuff like that, but they did have a lot of local roots, like um, that people still listen to them and respect them to this day. You know, um, Chicago, you know, Common came out there from Chicago. Then you had a lot more other artists coming out from Chicago. The South was doing its own thing. 
It didn't want anything to do with what was going, what happened with the whole East Coast, West Coast thing. And the South just did its own thing. And you know what? Got to respect that, you know. But it was the underground scene um, that was coming out of it. But not only that, we also had another mini... um, another mini genre of music that hip hop gave birth to and that was the lo-fi music scene the lo- um many of you don't know the lo-fi music scene is just basically um a unique style of hip hop but it's not hip hop in a way and two of the most influential people in that genre was a DJ from Japan called Ninjabus and Jay Dilla out here. And, you know, and Jay Dilla, the music, the beats and everything like that, how the way he produced the music, how he humanized a Roland beat, uh, beatbox machine. And then Ninjabus, he took the musical, artistic, the jazz sound of of the of the of the US style of hip hop, the East Coast style of hip hop, and just humanized it. What they both did was they humanized hip hop and gave it a, a, a down to earth feel and a groove. Sadly sadly, they both died um at a very young age. But they did, they did leave a huge mark on the hip-hop. But not only just hip-hop, but also on the lo-fi community. And that's why I would always say that lo-fi music came out from hip-hop during this time. And those were, you could say, were the patron saints of that. You know, but not only that... Um, a lot, like I said, a lot of artists, a lot of MCs and stuff like that were coming out and bringing the lyricism back, what it was, what it was meant to be. They had messages and stuff like that. Um, during this time, too, you had a couple boys from the South in the Carolinas, Little Brother, that came out with not one, but two legendary classic albums that still to this day, I would say, are at least in my personal top five uh, greatest hip hop albums of all time. Oh, uh, the listening and the minstrel show. Yeah, because they basically did was just okay. We take what they were doing out in the West, take the music, we we take the lyricism from the West, like telling it how it is here in the Carolinas. Take the music instru- the mu- the music arrangement and stuff like that, and the production style out in the east put them together but we give it a southern twang to it yeah and they actually go beyond like uh, um telling it how it is in the streets and actually critique the hip-hop industry as a whole yeah um good example the listening was just uh, the listening if you listen to the whole album that whole album was just basically critiquing to what hip hop was 
to where it was going. And they were right on the money on it to where it's going. And same thing with the minstrel show. The minstrel show was basically okay. The first album we talked about how the hip hop how the hip hop scene is. Now we're going to talk about how the hip hop scene is being used in the in the mainstream. And where is that going? Yeah, and um, and they were both right on the money. Yeah, it was not going the right way. No, and they were trying to tell people wake up. Yeah, there's better. You know, you know, embrace creativity and quality. Don't 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 fall into the trap of you know. Let's make money. Exactly. You know, and then from there, we get to where we're at now. So from the late two thousands. Up to now, um, the New York scene is still around. It's not as vibrant and how it used to be. The West Coast scene is. You have to, in a sense, in the similarities for the two is this: if you want something that you like, you have to go deep and find it. Yeah. Because right now, anything that's coming out from the East Coast, it's going to be mainstream. Anything that's coming out from Chicago is going to be mainstream. Anything that's coming out from the South is going to be mainstream one way or another. Anything that's coming out of the West, mainstream, fabricated mainstream. The problem was that they're all probably talking about the same thing. Now, yeah, and on top of... no, O's and, and money and... Well, not only that, but also, too, um, the lyricism, the lyrics, the message and stuff like that, it's not there anymore. You don't, you don't get that. And then on top of that, too, it almost sounds the same now. You yeah. can't... T- like, if you play something that's on the radio, like, go to a hip... Go, like, go to a hip-hop radio station listen to it for about a good hour that they're playing like what's what's popular now you wouldn't even tell the difference what was east coast what was west coast or what was from the south or what was from chicago because they almost sound identical the only difference is just the mc but the style the beats yeah, it's 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 almost almost identical in one way or another. The underground scene is almost dead. It's not like what it once was, and it and it's and it's micro golden age. You know, there's still there's still some like little hidden nuggets of 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 goodness in the underground scene, but you got to look for it, and that's very hard. Yeah. You might have to go to places that you know it's beneath you, but it's there and you got to be willing to go. Mm-hmm. You know, or to the point where, you know, you got to... And, and, and on the flip side, you know, with what's going on with the mainstream, it kind of discourages genuine talents to move up. Because they're like, well, I'm kind of comfortable where I'm at. I know I'm not making super duper million bucks, but I kind of have something that I have going on here good. And I think I need to protect that so I don't end up like that. Right. 
you know, a good example. Um, I'm just going to say this right now. Take a look at the European scene. Okay, the European hip-hop scene. Reason why we haven't talked about so much about it, because we don't hear nothing that comes out from it over there. You know? They don't come out unless they become, like, big Europe European famous. And then that would entice Warner Brothers Europe to say, well, how about we send them to to the main Warner Brothers headquarters and see what they can do. Right. And then if it goes well, then somehow we're like, we're hearing from them, oh, like, they're from Europe. Well, what do they do? And then we would find out and they're like, oh, shut up. Right. Yeah. But see, we don't hear anything like that. Same thing with Asia. We don't, there is a hip hop scene in Asia. There's also a hip hop scene in Africa. There's also a hip hop scene in Central and South America. We don't hear anything from it as because either A, they don't think they're good enough to hit it up over here, or B, you know, the language barrier is also a huge thing, or C, they sound almost identical to what's playing over here beat wise. So why bother? You know? Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a, that's a, that's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. And for a genre that has 50 years under its belt, that has two rises and two falls, eh, and right now it's still in the steady fall right now, eh, they should have done better. But not only that, I'm just going to take a wrestling term right here. They hit their prime way too early. They hit their prime way too early. Well, I say there there is still um, there is still hope, but unfortunately, you know, like punk music, someone's gonna have to slap everyone back into back back into a place and say, "Hey, you know, what happened to the message we were bringing out?" Right. And not just that, but you know, um, either do something different or strengthen what was. And turn it into something, something good, you know, something tweaked up and not mainstream, same old cookie cutter material. Yeah, or, you know, just do what, Otherwise, or, or, just, or just do what, just what uh, the short revival of punk music in the 90s did. Go back to basics. Just go back to its fundamental roots. Yeah, well, that's going to be hard considering, you know, you have to appease uh, not just, you know, everything's all commercialized. You know, you need to test test audience and you got to please the executives. It's going by the way of the fun- of the math function one over X. X. As X gets bigger, it's steadily going towards zero. And that is dangerous. Well, who says they need to do that? Well, Why, no, I'm just saying they should just go back to its fundamental roots. Go back to the to the local scene, the underground scene. Just stay there and then just, you know, grow from there. Yeah, but there's got there's still there has to be someone that 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 is will be be strong and confident enough to break that mold and and you know straighten everything out. Eh, maybe, maybe. I mean, 50 years of hip-hop, no excuses. Yeah. Because with 
with what they have right now, we're still practically in the dark ages. Pretty much. There needs to be, well, like history, a renaissance. You know, go back to the classical Greek and Roman stuff, but in this sense, go back to the classical uh, early days of hip-hop, but somehow reinvigorated and, and, you know, clean it, you know, dust it up, clean it up, and, you know... Well, you know, the old saying goes, you know, what's old can be new again. Exactly. Except this time, no excuses. Yeah. Because, to be honest, modern day hip-hop just... I haven't listened to it in ages. I have not listened to anything modern, you know, in ages. And uh, Me? I think since Nas. <laughs> ah, so, like... Like the nineties, then nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. For me, yeah, for me, it's it's a long time. Last thing I've heard was just like from the underground scene, and then most recently too with the release of De La So, you know, um, like I was saying, was old is new again. You know, people were hearing De La So for the first time, or well, a generation of people. While people like us grew up listening to them. Yeah, you know, exactly. We, MTV. Know. Well, back when MTV embraced music with yo MTV raps, Dr. Dre and Ed Lover. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Not that Dr. Dre. It's a different Dr. Dre. Right. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, in short, 50 years of a genre of music that was once done in house parties became one of the biggest things in the world is on a huge decline. Well, it's not, not just huge, not but just, it's steadily going down. Well, not just well, no, it's on a huge decline twice. You know, in the late 90s and now after after the 20 after the late 2000s. Could it survive a third downfall? No, I don't know. Does there need to be changes? Yeah, of course. But if they can learn a thing or two from rock and roll, especially rock and roll, um, sometimes you have to go back to your roots, whether you like it or not. What's old can be new again, but never forget your roots. Thus, in case of rock and roll, it was always rhythm and blues. Thus, in this case for hip-hop, it was just organically house music. Party music. Party music, but eventually perfected with... Uh, uh, with a message. With a message. A genuine message. Yeah. Alright, so there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, there we go. Hope you guys had a wonderful time listening to us. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about more things in pop culture. Um, but yeah, happy 50th birthday to hip hop. Hopefully we can say this again in 50 years. Mm. Just don't know. Just gotta wait and see. So, okay. On behalf of We Are Cats, I am Captain Cats. Hope you guys have a wonderful time. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe out there and just keep listening to music and we'll be back next week. Until then, take care. Yo-ho!